I am Shondell Wilhite, and I was once a victim of sexual and domestic abuse until one day I realized that I had a problem and decided to do something about it. Then I began to shine. I S spoke out and got out of that toxic relationship. H helped myself. I ignited my own fire. N I never looked back and E I evolved. I am the published author of my first book entitled The Reality Behind the Illusion. And I am making a difference through my truths and inspiring lives on how to defeat giants of sexual and domestic abuse. I changed my mind about being afraid and ashamed of my past and instead now I embrace it so that I can reach out to others and let them know they are not alone and they too can shine. Good evening. Welcome to Shine with Shondell. This is your host, Shondell Wilhite. And today we're going to have um, a very, very uh, powerful show, one that is going to be uh, raw. And um, it's going to be a conversation with my son. And we're going to be talking about um, childhood trauma. And so I had to mentally prepare for this week and get myself ready for today. So I think that I, I'm ready. I'm ready for the conversation. This is a conversation that has never been done before with my son and I. And I just, I just really believe that, you know, it's just time for healing. Uh, when I basically took on this role as an advocate for um, sexual and domestic abuse, it was basically to start changing my own family. And so that's what I am here to do. So we're going to get right into it. Um, It's a family day here. So I got grandbabies and that kind of thing around. So uh, there may be a little bit of noise, but just uh, bear with us because we got some little ones and she, one of them looking at me smiling and she ain't but two months old. And the other one is over here playing with corn in her mouth. So <laughs> I think we're, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a good night tonight. So uh, sit back and uh, check this out. So first off, I want to introduce you guys to my son. His name is Delanae Robertson, and we call him Pookie. Now, Delanae is 29 years old. He's the second born of my two. And um, we're going to just learn a little bit about him tonight. So we're going to let him start uh, the conversation now. So Pookie, let's start with that right there. So how do you feel about me calling you Pookie at 29 years old? Calling me Pookie at 29. Well, you always call me Pookie. That's been my name since day one. You ain't never really call me Delanae by my real names. So Calling me Pookie at 29 is no different than 28 or 27 or 26. So at this point, you can say that I'm used to it and I'm grown on me. It's pretty much my name for you, (laughs) personally. Yes, yes. Okay, well, um, well, I asked that question because a lot of people are like, why you still call that boy Pookie? He, he is a grown man and uh, you need to be calling him by his real name at this point. So I just wanted y'all to hear that answer and for myself as well uh, when it comes to that nickname, because that's basically what I've called him all his life. So there's that. <laughs> and uh, also just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, where, you grew up, of course, I know all of these questions, but to our listeners, we want them to know as well where you grew up, 
you know, were you athletic and maybe a fun fact about yourself? Okay. Um, well, of course, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, I guess you can say I've always been growing up with my mother. So you can say that I'm a mother's boy, mama's boy. I had a segment where I stayed with my daddy for a short period of time. And then, yes, I came back to live with my mother until I graduated from high school. Um, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, forget her quiet. <laughs> well, we done already put our disclaimer out there because right. we got some little ones in the house. And so um, we're going to just allow a second to just get the baby situated and um, get this little one going. But um, like I said, tonight we're having a conversation with my son about um, childhood trauma. And as those of you know, or maybe not know, uh, I am a survivor of sexual and domestic abuse myself. And I consider myself at this point a thriver, but there was a lot that went on in my life growing up. And I believe that because of that, you know, it was just a cycle that continued and it started uh, once I had a family as well and so that's what we're doing right right now is talking about it and so we're gonna let uh my son continue what he was saying as far as you know growing up and uh kick back off where we left off okay so just retracing back on a lot of things that's coming through my head now uh growing up with my mother um seen and been through a lot with her um, as far as sexual and domestic violence is concerned. Um, I can only remember when I was just a little boy in an apartment where, you know, I kind of seen my mother go through a little domestic violence. And of course, as a little boy, you really don't know what that is growing up. But as I did get older, you kind of learn about it. Now that I know about it, you know, I can look back on it and tell what was going on and kind of make a decision. We're going to get her bottle for her. Get her little bottle here. And um, so, like I say, you know, we're, we're with family tonight, so there may be a few interruptions to where... Because he has a newborn himself. And um, so we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, try to get through the show uh, with, with all of our little ones that we got here. So uh she got her bottle now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so as he was saying, you know, um, just growing up in that situation and seeing some things on his own. So what what do you what do you um I guess remember as far as the 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 abuse that that we're talking about here because we really kind of skipped over some stuff let me just backtrack rewind so we were actually finding out a little bit about him and fun facts about him and that kind of thing so let's just go back to that so what is your what's a fun fact about you a fun fact about me is that um i love to work with kids and i love to teach my music and drumming um, that's kind of like my passion. Uh, that's something I can see myself waking up doing every day. Um, it's not really something I can uh, be stressful about. You know, it's something that I love to do. I can perfect my craft and anything that pertains to drums. So that'll be, you know, anything to know about me uh, as 
far as overall concerned. Um, other than that, I'm really hands-on. Um, I like uh, mechanical work and things of that nature. Uh, I like taking things apart, putting it back together. I was always into like taking my my toys apart and you know putting it back together and you know best way I could. Have the Hot Wheel, you know, thing to put together. So that was fun to do. Um, so those are kind of two things about me that I like to do. Okay. Other than that, I'm kind of learning how to be a family man in a sense. Yep. Yep. So. Um, yeah, that kind of falls into, you know, as far as what I've learned, as far as being in a sexual and domestic violence, you know, home or environment, you know, I kind of learned a lot from the guys that I've been around dating my mother, seeing how they treat her, you know, and seeing what kind of men they are. You kind of just sit back and watch them and you kind of observe them. You know, there's been many situations where the men, they always start out good, you know, in a sense, or Maybe they're starting out bad, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I've seen instances where you know, my mother, she does her best to uplift the men and put them in a position where they can, you know, better themselves as as young black men. And um, I've always been right there at the front seat to just observe the the, the challenges that come before me and how things just transpire. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, and a lot of those situations have led me to grow into the man that I am today. Um, as far as with my father himself and all the other men that I've uh, seen her date, a lot of them have taught me, you know, what to do and also what not to do uh, uh, when it comes to women um, because they have put themselves in a situation that you know, could change their lives forever. And and I've always looked at that and seen that, you know, some decisions I may not want to make if I don't want to end up in those same type of positions that they were in. Mm -hmm. As far as just having kind of law trouble, you know, going to jail, you know, having a crazy lady come behind you, you know, chasing you around, doing all kind of dramatic things and, you know, just putting you in an uncomfortable situation in life in general. And just basically piggybacking off of that, because see, there was a lot to say, there was a lot of things that he saw as far as what was done in with me and, and guys. And there were times that I showed him the papers that I got once I picked up a record and I explained to him you know if you go down this road and being abusive to uh, women and girls that this is the kind of thing that will happen to you and I was showing him that from my perspective and from my experience more or less because you know I've been there and done that and got a record to prove it so I'm glad to hear that, you know, he's he's just basically saying that he was looking at all of that and and learned from it. And so what would you say was your most memorable childhood experience or moment? Hmm, my most memorable, if it's pertaining to this topic here. It will probably have to be um, the time you actually sent me away to a foster home to, you know, get me to see, you know, what it is and what life is, you know, without you, in a sense, and just letting me see uh, where kids can end up, you know, based on the decisions that they make in life. And so, yeah, you sent me there for two weeks, and although it wasn't like a big punishment, but it was an eye opener to me to see that, you know, this ain't really where I want to be. You know, I don't want to be in another home with another group of kids who, you know, make bad decisions and are here for, I guess you could call therapy to not make these decisions when, you know, I can be strong minded enough myself to 
just do the right thing so I don't have to end up in these type of positions. Wow. And you know, um, he said it, it was foster care. It, was, it wasn't a, a foster care. It was um, a program for troubled teens and they have those in the Metroplex here. And I just found one because um, at the time there was something that, you know, he did and I just didn't know what else to do. And he um, wrecked my sister's car. And so he could have killed himself in the midst of it because he, he, he ran into a tree in that car. And, you know, everybody was just scared to death because so much could have happened much, much worse in that situation. And so, you know, just to hear him say that that was an eye opener for him and, um, (laughs) you know, um, that those were some of the things that he did not want to do as far as being with another group of people or another family or just a group of kids that were just placed somewhere to just grow up without their parents. And so um, I'm really glad to, to, to hear that. Um, so when you saw the abuse, what were you feeling or how did it make you feel just wit- witnessing the abuse that was towards me? I guess right then at the moment it didn't make me feel any kind of way uh, at the time I really didn't know what to do or what to think mm-hmm. you know but I did know that what I was seeing wasn't right Yeah. so you know as a kid there ain't really much you can do you know to defend your mother against another man that's two, three, four times your size or whatever the case may be. So you kind of just observe it. You know, you learn from it in a sense. It was never anything brutal that I've seen happen. So um, nothing that just pains me in the heart that I saw. Everything was mainly just shoving, more physical, pushing, and picking up, maybe uh, throwing out the door, pushing against the closet, you know. So all of those things I've seen, but none of it really pained me uh, as far as feelings and emotions because, again, I was just a young boy. So you, you really don't know how to feel or what to feel at that time. But now, going back, you know, you would think that I would have felt, you know, a little bit more pain if I had known, you know, anything about domestic violence yeah and I think that for both of us you know we didn't really know anything about domestic violence I know I never heard the term domestic violence coming up at all and so I just felt like that's the way relationships were supposed to be growing up that's what I saw in my household And so just listening to you say that, you know, as a little boy, there was nothing that you can really do about it, you know? So I get that. And then just really not knowing how to feel. I mean, like you say, you knew that it wasn't right, but what were you to do to come up against somebody that was, you know, two, three, four times your size? So I I totally understand that. Um, you know, I, I just really kind of wanted to get your viewpoint on, you mentioned now, you know, growing up, was there something that you felt like during the time as you got older that you were and were not going to do 
when you got into relationships yourself? Uh, well, I know that I'm, I always wanted to have just one person, you know, to share my heart with. Yeah. Um, I learned early that, you know, having multiple people to share your heart with can be dangerous yeah. and uh, very challenging, very expensive. Yes. Um, so being 29 now and having some uh, great relationships growing up in my 20s, uh, I kind of already disciplined and trained myself to take care of, you know, my girl that I'm dating and kind of just stay focused in that regard. Um, I know that I don't want to put my hands on women because I know what road that leads down. And so I've done a very good job of keeping my hands to myself. Uh, to this day, I still learn from other people's relationships. You know, it's even if it's not just with domestic violence, it's just with, you know, just dramatic relationships, yeah. that, you know, just petty relationships that you kind of witness on a daily. Yeah. And on top of that, everything that's going on in life in general, you know, you kind of don't want to put yourself in a position where you're dealing with a lot or worrying about a lot. So I kind of have simplified my relationship and my life to just uh, taking care of my own in, in a sense of, you know, my girl, my baby, and, you know, my family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have um, one of the producers on the show that wants to ask you a question so if you want to answer you can agree or not Mm -hmm. okay so go ahead um colette thank you you. how are you good very good you're a young guy you are i think i heard you say 20 something 29 29? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So what would you say to your peers? What would you say to your peers when it comes to relationships and how they may find themselves in a domestic violence relationship? And what would you say to them to keep them from going down that real deep rabbit hole? I was watching a program yesterday and this girl is in a relationship with a man who is 30 years her senior. He's 55 and she's 25. Absolutely the worst thing in the world. Well, one of the worst things in the world. Uh And they got married after the show, even though the psychologist recommended that they stay away from each other for 30 days, 30 days at the minimum. Uh And they left the show and got married several days later. And the host of the show strongly recommended that they stay away from each other. And if it took 60 or 90 days, then they were to stay away from each other. But they were both guilty of putting their hands on each other. The girl is 25 and he is 55. Uh He went down the really wrong rabbit hole because he pursued her knowing that she was a kid at 18, 19 years old and then moved her into, when she didn't have a place to live, he moved her into his home along with his former wife. And they began to have issues. They put their hands on each other. What would you have said to her to to help get her out of a situation that is as volatile as the one that she's in now? What would you say to your peers to keep them from going down this hole? (laughs) 
hang on a second. I'm sorry. Okay, um, to answer your question, in my personal opinion, if you're asking what I would say to her. Um, what would you say really, to her and what would you say to your peers? Uh, I'll start with what I'll say to my peers. What I'll say to my peers is that I believe that everything happens for a reason in life. And so with that being said, um, you can't take any of the little things for granted in a sense. And what I mean by that is people's actions and uh, people's intentions. If you pay attention to what people do to you, what people say to you, you'll learn them quickly. But a lot of people, you know, they ignore it because maybe they like someone or maybe they think, you know, this person is cute or handsome or whatever in the case may be. They're blinded by, you know, the little things that you really don't realize in life. And so the decisions that were made between this 25 and this 55-year-old, you know, it was their own decisions um, on both ends of the table. And so I would say that she uh, made her choice to date or talk to the 55-year-old and the 55-year-old did it vice versa. Um, them putting their hands on each other can be a variety of uh, things that could have happened. Um, it's such a large age difference that, you know, you kind of can understand that uh, the male kind of wanted certain things from this young woman and the young woman kind of wanted certain things from this young man but they really didn't have you know any common grounds to each other um they kind of just wanted from each other and, and um just wanting something from someone can lead to a lot of different things as far as um you know violence or whatever in the case may be because you're not really uh needed of each other um as far as what real life brings you you know you they're not needing of each other um in any aspect but wanting of each other in that case and so you can kind of just look at the different age group in the two and tell that nothing was really going to be serious in the sense um of them dating each other and with them putting putting their hands on each other is kind of uh, a key idea that whatever decisions were made you know they were made for each other and that's what i mean by everything happening for a reason you can't really judge anybody um in life and i really don't judge anybody in life um i can just learn from them and the decisions that they do make and so uh if there's any discrepancy in, the, in those two parties as far as the woman and the male um i can't really judge them as far as why they did or why they made a decision that they did i can only learn from them and use it to my own uh, discretion in, in my own life. So would you tell your peers if you're in a relationship that even looks like there could be some violence, would you tell your peers to leave the relationship or would you tell your peers to stay in the relationship? What would you say to your peers so that they don't go down this hole? Um, I would tell my peers to definitely move, remove themselves from this kind of situation. Um, being that I've I've seen these kind of situations go from good to bad. I've seen them try to rekindle and I've seen, you know, relationships try to stay together, but they seem to always get worse, you know, the the second round or the third round, because you you develop a, a mentality like um, if we do this for the second time, then, you know, now it's twice as hard to do everything right. And the moment you make a mistake, it's like that built up energy from you messing up the first time is now twice as strong the second time that you messed up. And so that's why I believe that, you know, I would tell my peers to remove themselves from domestic relationships or violent relationships um, because in the end, it's not worth it. I've seen them try to hang on to love and 
hang on to these relationships, but it seems like it just makes them more, more and more upset and more and more impatient to, you know, try to be that, that man or that woman to their, their peer, I mean, their spouses. So, um, thank you for that question. I appreciate um, you asking that question uh, because I think it is important that when we are young and we've experienced so much and gone through so much and seen so much that we can then try and be that person that holds their friend accountable. I mean, ultimately we are responsible for our own actions, but when you can have someone that is positive, that is telling you things that are right, as opposed to things that are wrong, that, um, you know, those kinds of things help in life. And so what I wanted to also ask you, son, is did you ever feel like the abuse was transferred onto you as a child? I don't think that it was transferred onto me, but it was always in the back of my head on um me being violent personally i can tell like when i'm frustrated or upset with my loved one or in a sense and i find myself in a position where i'm yelling and i'm fussing and i'm cussing i get that urge and that rage in the back of my head that you know i kind of just want to put my hands on there because i'm fed up with everything that's going on in this situation but of course once i reach that point um, of course, I'll discipline myself not to go or not to make the, the wrong decision as to just fighting, you know, my loved one or putting my hands on her. I kind of just remove myself from the situation. I remove myself from the room. I leave the house. I go sit in the car and, you know, I just kind of walk away from whatever it is that we're talking about and we kind of just rekindle it the next day or later on that day. But as far as, you know, trying to just calm myself down right at that given moment, it never kind of works out because I find myself always getting mad all over again. You know, if I'm not in agreement with what's, what I'm hearing, what's being said, you know, if we can't come to a, a, a mutual agreement, then it kind of just upsets me. Okay, we're going to take a short pause. Okay, while you do that, Shondell, I'm going to go ahead and put you on mute. And uh, Colette, why don't you tell the listeners what we have coming up uh, with regard to the series that we've got going on? Thank you very much. Thank you for that, Shondell. And we know babies have to be taken care of. We just want to let you know that you are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network. And this is Shine with Shondell. And the discussion is about domestic violence, which is really running rampant in all communities, not just the Black community, but in all communities, especially during this period in time when COVID is running rampant. And it's unfortunate because people have to remember this will go away, hopefully, hopefully this will eventually go away. And what do you do after that? And I remember last year, uh, Kelly Clarkson discovered that she didn't know the husband that she had been married to for seven years. And she didn't know who he was. So they went through a major, major, very, very uh, visible, played out in the news, divorce. And there was... Uh, somewhat domestic violence. It was it was volatile, but people are having a very t- tough time. They're having a very tough time, being quarantined, being shut down, not able to get out, living with someone that you discover you never knew. So it is very very tough on everybody. So it's something that people need to understand, and they need to work through it. If there is violence. If there are situations where you're not able to agree, where all you do is fight, 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 and the words become physical, 
it, yeah, it's time to go. It is time to go. And one of the things that we talk about on this network is how people can not necessarily take matters into their own homes, but instead of calling the police, instead of calling 911, there should be an element in the community or a community service where people who are in trouble can call the church. They can call the community group. They can call the brothers in the neighborhood exactly. who will come out and who will be there to help men and women who will be there in case something else is needed, in case there is an intervention that's needed, in case it does get violent. You call in three, four, five brothers who will be there mm -hmm. to support the women, the children, and in some cases, the men. When women do this, when women are uh, violent mm -hmm. on their mates, their husbands, their partner, their spouse. So it's not, it's not one way. And it is not simply that men do all of the acts. There are times when women men have been victims of domestic violence. Exactly, they do that. Yep, but so, you're absolutely right, Colette. That we we there need, should be we need something another in, element, a yeah. contingency, where women or men or family members can call someone other than nine one one because when nine one one is called, it always we ends all up know. bad. It ends it up bad. All, yes. We do need that sort of thing, and 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 I wish the churches would step up. And do that. It all it would take, you know, churches, I have no idea what the numbers are, but if you have 10, 15 brothers who are of age, who are of mind, can be on call. If you've got, if you have 12 brothers, four are on call from eight to four, the other 12, four are on call four to 12 and, and that like, or something of that, it's just on call. If something happens, you go and you check the situation out because in a situation like that, it's better to see somebody that looks like you, somebody that can understand what's going on. And when you get some of these people in that situation, when you see the others, if you will, come in, again, it starts to go bad. They don't understand us. We don't understand them. There's a cultural difference. And that's not necessarily anybody's fault. There are cultural differences that we have to deal with that when you call the police, those things aren't taken into consideration because typically we are not even police policing our own communities. So, um, you know, we do need to, we do need some. We do. And I was listening to a program and I don't remember exactly which one it was, but there are organizations who are establishing those kinds of alternatives. And I want to say I hate to say it, but I want to say it's a white church that created an alternative to 911. Uh, there are so many men, as you said, there may be uh, 12 men that they can call at any given time who are on call for so many hours in an evening during the day. They're on call, which alleviates, eliminates 911. Because when 911 is called and it's a domestic violence call, they already go with something in their head that it ain't going to go well. LAPD, DPD, uh, uh, HPD, they do not like domestic violence calls. No, they do they not. never end well. Yeah. They always go with multiple cars. They always go with people not knowing what they want to do, and the whole thing goes bad. Yeah, you are correct and in in essence of saying that because I know that in uh, my situation, you know, the police were just tired of coming out, you know, because when you stay in like the small suburban uh, areas um, in Dallas Metroplex, you know, you're going to most likely sometimes get the same cop. And so once you are called out on these domestic violence um, situations so many times, you know, the one time that is really serious 
you know, they don't take it serious. And that's when it ends really, really, really bad. And so um, because of that, you know, there's a responsibility with us. And when I say us, I mean the survivor and even the victim at the time of the situation, you know, we have to start taking action ourselves as far as what we're going to do about these situations. And that's why it's so important to be educated about domestic violence and know what it is, because I had no idea what it was uh, for for the longest. And so I think we've gotten the, the baby situated. And so we can continue um, with the conversation uh, with my son here. And you know, just basically listening to him tonight, you know, I'm really happy to say that, you know, this thing was a turnaround, a turning point for for my immediate family, I could say, because I always told him to never put his hands on a woman. Do you remember me always telling you to never put your hands on a woman? And the first time something would happen, you know, with his girlfriend or whatever, I was like, did you hit her? And, you know, his answer would always be what? No. (laughs) So that was a thing that, you know, really, really made me happy. But do you think that if I hadn't drilled that, in your head as a little boy even though you saw so much of it do you think that that was something that you would possibly be doing to women today just based on growing up and what you saw and what I've told you you know I'm not gonna say it's not a possibility that I would have grown up putting my hands on women um but I guess you drilling in me the way you did, you know, it was always in the back of my head not to. So, yeah, that's kind of what I took from that. Is there ever a time when somebody says, I was pushed to the brink? Is there ever a time when a man will, especially a man, will say, she pushed me and pushed me and all I could do was hit her? Is that a real thing? I would say no, because everything is a mind thing. You know, some people's minds are stronger than the next person. And so that's what it just is. Every man has their own brain, own mind, own intellectual, you know, smarts to make the decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. And so no woman should be able to drive any man to the brink of whatever it is that they, you know, are fed up with. Yes, we do get frustrated. Yes, we do get upset. And yes, we are aggressive. But at the same time, you know, we are also, you know, kings. We are also protectors. And so that's what we have to do. You know, we shouldn't be beating up on our own women. We should be protecting our own women. And that's just, you know, what I, how I go about it. I'm so glad. Um, <laughs> it's really making me emotional because that was one thing that I just did not want for my son and especially because of you know the fact that I've gotten a record because of it Um, his dad has gotten records because of it I've gone to jail because of it his dad has gone to jail because of it and um, you know it was just easy to say that this is something that, you know, would come for you to do, you know, it it would be, you know, yeah, because his mom, you know, was always, you know, getting into trouble and so on and so forth, you know, he's just, you know, a a likely candidate that that's going to happen to as well. And so I'm just glad that you had your own mind and you set your own mind to do something opposite of what we're doing. And that's really part of just breaking the cycle, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, right now. 
And um, there's a, some other questions that I want to get to. And I wanted to know that as a kid, you know, when things were going on, I know that you said that you didn't really know how to feel when things were happening to me or what to do. But was there any time or any point in your life where you felt like, you know, I needed some peace, I need some serenity? And and if so, what is the thing that you did in order to get that? Um, I don't really know back then. Yeah. But now... You know, when I find myself in situations where I need to have some peace for myself, I kind of just um, think about drums. You know, I kind of come up with new little parts, you know, like cadences as far as what I can teach to my students. And I kind of find myself in a, a in a different vibe, like in a different world when I get to thinking about anything pertaining to drumming. And so I know that kind of like puts a smile on my face, even when I am mad. Uh, yeah. In situations, I might throw some music on and kind of just come up with different things with the beat. Yeah. And once I really get my, my creative juices flowing, you know, I kind of forget about whatever it is I was uh, upset or mad about. Yeah. And I could feel that because there was so many things that I had to result to myself and dancing and writing were a couple of those things. And writing really, even as a young child you know just growing up I wrote a lot I wrote poems and stuff like that and I really just wrote down my feelings and I I realize now that that was the way that I processed everything just writing everything down but now that you have a a daughter of your own Mm -hmm. you know um (laughs) what are some of the things that um you know you feel as though being a father is important when it comes to raising your daughter um I know that I remember when we used to just ride around and I would always have you to open the doors for me do you remember that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that's some of the stuff right there that, you know, you're going to have to be the one to show your daughter, you know, you're going to have to open doors for her, and, you know, so what are some of the things that you've even thought about just being a father is what you have to do so that, you know, your, your baby doesn't have to experience any of this. I know one thing that I do want my daughter to grow up with both her parents under the same household. And so I know that, you know, I have to um, keep myself in position and continue to build my family up to where we can stay together, where there's no issues to where we have to think about separating or being apart from each other because, um, as well as I don't like to do long distance relationship, I wouldn't want a long distance relationship with my children yeah. or child. Yeah. You know, so that'll be one thing that I want is for us to stay together as a family under one household. Um, as far as what I want her to see, um, as far as growing up um, and men, I just want her to know that, you know, men are supposed to be the providers, the protectors, you know, for the women. Yeah. And so um, as she's getting older, I'll, I'll, you know, educate her as to what she should look for in a man, Yeah, you know, and what choices she should make when she is with a man. Yeah. And so uh, I'll show her both sides and tell her, teach her, whatever she needs to know so she'll already be prepared, yeah. you know, for the for the good guys and the bad guys, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we just pray that nothing bad has happened, you know, in that regard as she's growing up, as she's learning, if she's found herself in a bad situation, you know, she should be able to trust me and that she can call me at any given moment, you know, good or bad, and know that I'll come and get her and take care of her and, you know, we'll learn together what and what not to do. I think that's very, very, very good advice, son, um, to be honest with you. 
um, of course, you know, I, I got all these daddies in my life mm-hmm. <laughs> and none of them told me that, um, growing up. And so I lacked that. And I just think that that's beautiful <laughs> that you have already thought about the kind of relationship that you want with your daughter and how to raise her, you know, um, and even though, you know, you grew up in a single parent home, you know, the fact that you want her in uh, with both her parents mm-hmm. in the house and everything. So I, I, I just think it's, I think it's very beautiful that you, you think that way mm-hmm. about, about your own. And so what I also wanted to know, because we're getting down to the end of the hour, is do you think that um, these kinds of conversations are necessary when it comes to childhood trauma and just discussing how the child feels and what the child thinks? Because in, in, in so many instances, you know, the, the kids end up resenting their parent one of the other parent so did you have any resentment towards uh me for staying or your dad or any of that no I didn't have any resentment I was always you know that son that ride or die with you yeah I always had the attitude that you know we was gonna be all right You know, you showed me how to be strong. You showed me how to start over. Yeah. You showed me that, you know, nobody can ever put you down. Right. You know, and if they do put you down, you can always get back up. You'll be just just as tall, two times stronger as you was. Yeah. And so, you know, seeing all that, I never had any worries, I guess. You know, I've never been worried about being in a bad situation. Even today, you know, myself, you know, I may fall behind in bills, but, you know, I kind of don't worry about it because yeah. I already know at the end of the day that God going to have you. Yeah, Everything happens for a reason. And so everything's going to play out the way it should play out. Yeah. And to this day, everything has. You know, I feel like I've always been in a position where, you know, I've always got the good end of the stick. I've always came in right on time, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never had any resentment toward what happened, what I've seen, what I've been through, but I've always knew that, you know, everything was definitely going to be okay between us. Yeah. And, you know, um, he's so humble, as you all can hear, and uh, I I just love him to death. I love my daughter. I, you know, I have to stop saying that because I've I've realized that that is a negative thing to say. I just love him to to heaven. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if that's good either. That's still talking about along the lines. (laughs) But I love my I love my babies. Um, I do, and I really wanted this conversation with us to happen because in the midst of it all, you know, we're all healing from something. And I just think that when we really have these raw conversations and we really talk about things that are on our minds and just really um, figure out what it is that, you know, maybe we've been suppressing or just keeping down inside and um, not really talking about and just letting it fester for years and years and um, going on and going on um, just in life and not really dealing with our situation. So um, do you feel like these are good conversations to have or do you think it's just best to just leave them alone? (laughs) They're definitely good conversations to have because you never know how the next person is feeling. A lot of people are shy from verbally speaking on themselves in deep conversations as this. Yeah. so when you do talk about it, you know, it gives you that that ease, that that relaxation, that yeah. you know, whatever it is that you had built up, you know, now it's out there on the table and mm-hmm. you know, it's no longer inside you. So mm-hmm. 
it's good to get things out of your system so you can, you know, progress and learn from it. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I believe that's really where healing starts. So um, do you feel like, like any different tonight since we've had this conversation? You know, like something, anything has been lifted up off of you or just, you know, something that you, you've had maybe in your heart that you wanted to express, but you never did? Um, honestly, no. These type of conversations, you know, I kind of just, I would have if, you know, the next person wanted to have it. Um, I've kind of just let this just linger on all these years as far as, you know, them being what it is, you know, I know this is like our first time really talking about it. We never actually had like a a debriefing after every situation or whatever in the case may be, but it's always been in the back of my head. Whenever I see situations, I kind of reminisce and think about my own situations and what I've seen, you know, with myself and you and just everything in general. But as far as just talking about it and wanting to talk about it, you know, I'm always open to talk about it but yeah. I'm more the you know kind of just sit back kind of guy yeah I don't really put anybody business out on the table unless you know they just want to talk to me about it yeah and so yeah yeah never really just had any feelings toward toward this like I said I was young too so I didn't have you know what to feel yeah now that I'm older and we're past it it's kind of like I don't see myself going going back to you know catch revenge of any anything of anybody yeah you know I've just made my own decisions you know in in relation to that yeah you know as to what to do and what not to do yeah and so um you know we we've been talking and then we're we got a couple of more minutes but how did you rekindle um your relationship with your dad through all of this uh, I think it was kind of just a natural thing. It wasn't nothing that we just sat down and talked about. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to bring up any, you know, bad skeletons from old closets, mm-hmm. you know, just to get on each other's good side. Because at the end of the day, you know, I love my father and, yeah. you know, my father loves me. And I've always wanted to have a relationship with my father. He's always been cool. Yeah. And we might not have lived together, but, you know, he was always there when he needed to be there. Yeah. And so that was enough for me growing up. And yeah. now, you know, after the years of going in and out of jail and not really just having that, that set in stone relationship, now that he's out, you know, as far as rekindling our relationship, you know, we kind of just get together when we can. We hang out, we play video games. Yeah. You know, we play dominoes, we have family barbecues, you know, yeah. whatever it is that we have, you know, we just try to use that time as quality time yeah. with each other. You know, it don't really matter what we're doing. You know, we can be just sitting around at home, just talking with each other. And that'll be enough for me. You yeah. know, I don't have to go out on a um, extraordinary extravaganza yeah. to rekindle anything, you know. I like spending time with family and that's kind of what we've been doing to this day. You know, I see my daddy faithfully now and I don't have any bad feelings about, you know, anything he's done in the past. Yeah. And so that's it, y'all. I mean, you know, that is the conversation that I wanted with my son this evening. And um, basically, you know, kids have feelings as well. And, you know, even though things don't work out with the parents doesn't mean that, that you know the kids still don't want um those relationships and sometimes you know you you can't have those relationships because it's so bad but in this situation you know I just thank God that everything worked out for the good and even with uh his dad and I if you saw us today in in the same room together you would never imagine that we've gone through all of that that we've gone through so thank god because you know forgiveness is everything and um 
you know, there's nothing that's too big for God to handle. And in my situation, I prayed a lot. And I think that, you know, just prayer and forgiveness and just being honest with myself and uh, holding myself accountable, you know, has gotten me to where I am today. So, hey, you know, we, we made it. We made it through this show. And I thank you, son, for agreeing to come on with me tonight. And so that's going to do it for us tonight on Shine with Shondell, um, a conversation with my son about childhood trauma. So join us again next week, same time, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Shine with Shondell. Have a great evening. Good night.